Welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both Alita Battle Angel and Happy Death Day to You. And I'm joined by none other than my friend Josh Brown to break these two movies down. Josh, this was your special request. How excited are you? Or maybe there's something else going on in your head because I think Alita Battle Angel might have let you down. Yo, my guy Robert in <laughs> They let me down. They let me. You don't understand. I was the only one for a year that was the hype man for Alita Battle Angel. When everybody was like, that looks like shit, I was like, no, man. I, I feel something special there. <laughs> All right. So just before we, before we totally get into it, Alita Battle Angel is directed by, as Josh mentioned, Robert Rodriguez. It's a James Cameron property. He actually wrote the screenplay, which I didn't realize till afterward. And um, so I thought that was interesting. And I guess it was a property he'd been holding on to a while. It takes place in uh, 2,563, about 300 years after a, a catastrophic war called The Fall, which kind of left it in a left this iron city that we're brought to in a bit of a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, Christoph Waltz plays Dr. Dyson Ito, a guy who like builds and fixes robots and cyborgs because cyborgs are a thing in this movie. And he is out scavenging for cyborg parts one day, and he comes across a half of a cyborg with an intact human brain. He puts it together. He names it Alita. Alita all of a sudden kind of comes to life and is able to walk around and use her human brain and picks up on things pretty quickly. Uh, she befriends a guy named Hugo, who is a, kind of a hunter warrior himself, which is a scavenger, which is like a, a bounty hunter in this world. But he also introduces her to motorball, which is kind of a sport that props up their entire economy. Uh, Hugo also kind of works for a guy named Vector, played by Mahershala Ali. Vector kind of controls Motorball, but he also controls Hugo's to this uh, mythical city of Zalem, which is where Hugo really wants him to send him. Uh, Vector employs the ex-wife of Dr. Ito, whose name is Sheeran. She's played by Jennifer Connelly. And a lot of people start trying to hunt down Alita for various reasons, and off we go. So, Josh, uh, what about this movie Like, made you really excited to see it? Because I went in with pretty low expectations, so I think I kind of just left it being like, oh, well... That was okay. It wasn't a disaster. So I think you just had a – even if we ultimately didn't come down too far apart from each other in the movie, you probably left it feeling pretty different than I did. So uh, what about it actually genuinely excited you where so many other people kind of scoffed at it as soon as they saw the trailer? As you may know from my Welcome Tomorrow uh, episode, I have a weird thing for auteurs making some type of like CGI – world type thing where like they're playing around with cgi while they're somewhat expressing their like interests and like their idiosyncrasies so like i had go so the lead up to this movie i was as hyped for it as i was for like ready player one and welcome to marwin hmm. where I'm, everybody like was skeptical and i'm like okay i think this is going to be some quick quirky metatextual stuff in here that like i can dig into that you know while also you're gonna have really well done set pieces like technically amazing set pieces now you do have one that's pretty decent but it's nowhere near like say the the race car sequence and ready player one like right. the motorball stuff is not at that level but the you know the, the effects because this is the james cameron production they're impressive like did you go in three? Did you go in three D? 
Yeah, I saw it in IMAX 3D. Yeah, I saw it, as did I. And I'm usually not a 3D person, but it was just the only time that worked for me. But I actually think the movie, like, utilizes it really well, whereas, like, a lot of movies, we don't get as much stuff in 3D as we used to, which I like. But Mm -hmm. normally, it's really not utilized all that well, and I thought it did actually work in this movie. Yeah. It's not the effects I have a problem with. It's the story. Right. Because, so, like, when you said that, like, James Cameron wrote this story and he didn't direct it, it shows um, <laughs> because, you know, James, James Cameron, like, I think he could take a very generic rote like story, like, you know, a derivative story like Avatar. And I think he can elevate it into something that feels different, you know. And in this sense, I don't think this movie ever does that. I think it's trapped in a very uninspired chosen one narrative in this uninspired, you know, dystopia, like that we've seen many, many times. Before. It also feels like it's really trying to set up that dystopia for to turn this whole thing into a franchise. And I think it kind of forgets to be its own movie because of that. Yeah, and that was very that that was a that that was a bold move on their part, because <laughs> um, uh, nobody except Josh, me, like like couple months ago is hype for Alita Battle Angel 2. Now, <laughs> well, I'm still on board for Avatar 2 Way of the Water. But recently, as this movie was coming out, James Cameron, he always likes to make news. It's sort of like, a, I think he doesn't like other people stealing the spotlight. Like, you know, remember when Wonder Woman came out, he trashed Wonder Woman. Um, and so the lead up to this, he trashed Aquaman, complained that movie's not realistic. <laughs> and my thing is like, James Cameron, my guy. Have you seen Alita Battle Angel? Because <laughs> Aquaman's a more enjoyable movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, you can't be talking when you gave us Alita Battle Angel. And I think the problem here is that, like, Robert Rodriguez, who I've been rooting for. I've been He's a director who I've been rooting for a comeback for. I like, um, you know, some of the stuff like Desperado and... I like Machete. I really do like Machete. Um, but he, you know, he's he's a very hit and miss guy. And there's been a lot more misses as of late. But I was hoping that, all right, he's under the guidance of James Cameron. He is a competent director himself. And he's never worked on a budget this, this, this big. Um, I wonder what he would do. And I think that, like... I think like if this was a James, because James Cameron was supposed to make this movie right after Avatar, like he was developing Avatar in this movie at the same time. And the thing about James Cameron, love him or hate him, you have to admit that when James Cameron does something, he's going to spend all the time in the world to make sure it's the best version that it could be. Man, Avatar two better be pretty dope then, huh? Yeah, it's been eleven years. <laughs> you know what they're doing with that movie? They're doing motion capture underwater. Yeah, well, they, apparently they already filmed two and three, but I'm sure it's going to take a ton of post production given the effects of play. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, no. like, I, I mean, I, 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 you could say that maybe in theory they did take their time. I mean, who knows? I really, no one, none of us really know what James Cameron has been doing for the last ten years. You know, yeah. like, I mean, if he had been only focusing on Avatar for the last ten years, we would have we had we would have an Avatar sequel by now. So maybe he did take his time in trying to develop this. At this, I mean, we don't know how he actually spends his days. Yeah, but, like, you know, he handed this off to Robert Rodriguez. So, yeah. like, the thing is, like, whenever James Cameron does something, 
if like if his if his vision is too ambitious, he develops the technology to make it right. And so I feel like with this film, James Cameron, you know, couldn't really crack the story and was more distracted by Pandora because um, we all want to know what happens with the Navi. Speak for yourself. Um, um, well, by the way, I'm so hyped for Avatar 2. I'm telling y'all, when you see the trailer for Avatar 2, you're going to be like, back on board. Um, <laughs> but, like, and I think, like, with this movie, like, I think it's without him, like, going hand, like, this being his unilateral vision, I think it, the movie suffers from it. I think there's, like, it, it, and my problem is mainly with the script. Um, because it's just, it's just, it's boring, yo. There, were, there weren't like a lot of cringy moments, which is what I expected by looking at the, um, trailer, looking at the trailer. It was more, I, I'm more with you on it being a rather uninspired story. Like there's not a lot besides like, I can isolate specific things I liked, but as mm-hmm. far as the story itself, it's like, and scenes that I found individually all that memorable, there's not a lot besides like the, the bounty hunter bar fight scene and the motorball scene where it's like, Oh yeah, that's cool. I'm gonna remember that in two weeks, you know. And here's the thing: the best part about the movie you only see for like two minutes or whatever. And this is like the movie, and it hints at a better movie. Like it's the Moon War stuff. Give me more Moon War. That looks like the coolest thing in the movie. And yeah, we're just trapped in this like mess. This should this should have been the second movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With Edward Norton, Edward Norton in it. Um, well, no, another problem with the movie is that it really, really under undercooks this whole entire uh, Zalem storyline and everything with Marshall Ali. And I didn't realize how long of a production this was. They filmed this before Moonlight came out. That explains why he like I'm like when you're watching the movie, you're like, "Yo, Marshall Ali, you won an Oscar. You don't have to go back to this Hunger Game type role that you've done in the past." Yeah, like, so, so they filmed this in like middle of 2016, late 20, late like late 2016. So it was like right as Moonlight was like coming out and before anyone knew he was an Oscar winner. No one knew who he was when he got cast in this. And wait, wait, wait. he was on House of Cards at this point. People knew him, but no one not not yeah. enough to at that point, like being the guy that shows up for ten minutes in Alito Battle Angel was like a, a level up for the guy on House of Cards. Not, mm-hmm. not but not for a guy who's an Academy Award winner. And if they had known they had and he very he's probably gonna be a two time Academy Award winner, even if that we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that in the best supporting actor part of the awards podcast we're filming later tonight or recording later tonight. But I mean, if they knew they had that on it that on their hands, like they would have made that storyline more substantial. And instead I don't really think you give a shit about it because there's just like they just it's just like what why should we care about this guy you know they they reference this nova person who as we learn kind of controls him but at the same time it's like not really spend enough we don't really spend enough time there to care and this is a movie that's like over two hours so they probably should have found a way to balance all that out yeah he's very generic and he's not the only generic character there's also the uh, like the romance that i don't know like i okay so you saw this one uh, I saw this this past Sunday. Okay, okay. It's been a couple. Do you remember the romantic? Without looking up, do you remember the le- romantic lead of this film? The uh, the character's name. Yeah. I, I would not have remembered it if I hadn't like gone onto Wikipedia before I did this podcast. I saw and I saw I saw when I was trying to like just get my character straight before I got on the podcast. I saw yeah. I saw I saw the name Hugo and I'm like, oh, that was Christoph Waltz. Yeah. So like I I, I, I did not remember it. No. Yeah, like the like, so you have like this, and I don't, it's like you don't even need the romance. Like you don't, you don't need it. Um, like I think like like the central premise in and of itself, you know, I guess there's a compelling story that not in this movie, but like there's a compelling premise to work with. 
Um, yeah, and- he, he can he can just be a guy that's her entry right way into like the regular world. And mm-hmm. I and I, I one thing I did like though is that it wasn't like she had to learn how to like be a functioning person. Uh, person, I'll say put person in quotes, whatever. But like, she's not like it's not like they have to like learn learn how she doesn't have to like learn how to walk and speak. And I for a second I, I was expecting that to be like fifteen minutes of the movie. So mm-hmm. she comes a little more fully formed once uh, Christoph Waltz puts her together, and then she like, kind of goes out in the world, and that's a little interesting as we're learning about what this world is and how they might treat cyborgs differently than a regular person, and trying to figure that out. And like, I could kind of see like. Maybe that was a version of movie I would have liked too, you know, where I'm just learning a little bit more about like their society and how they just treat a cyborg that might walk around like that, you know, because uh, yeah. th- she looks a little different from the cyborgs that are actually playing motorball. Yeah, and then like, but my thing is also like when it comes to her like development as a character, um, and I really, really, really hate using this term, but in terms of like when she like starts using like her powers and stuff mm-hmm. it, it, she at that point it takes like kind of like 15 minutes into the movie and then she's like this you know she's a well-capable fighter and stuff so she sort of feels like a mary sue where if you don't know what that term means where it's basically she has no problems what she has no faults or anything that she really struggles with and she's all already capable to do anything uh 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 that is like uh, within her uh, power. Well, she like, struggles with her love life, so that's why they had him there. <laughs> dude, uh, it's just uh, and uh, like, look, I wasn't a fan of Wonder Woman, but now I'm just like, hey, Cam, you can't, you can't fucking talk. Like, you know what? Like, you remember when he went on like the rant about Wonder Woman, be like, I know, I know female characters. Fuck you. This is this is a this is a, a counterpoint to that. Yeah, it's like he had he, he I think maybe before this he he maybe had a little more uh he had a little more cachet in that department given that like you know he Sarah Connor. Yeah. So uh but now uh, I don't know. It's, I I I actually missed the Aquaman comments uh and not that Aquaman has like a bunch of really great female characters or anything, but it is kind of funny he talked shit about Aquaman when he he was the director of Aquaman in the Entourage universe. I just totally missed that he made any kind of public comments about this Aquaman. So I just I find that funny now that now that you say that. Um, yeah, like James Cameron, arguably the most wettest filmmaker ever. James <laughs> Wan is trying to fight for that title now, but like. You know, when I think James Cameron, I think water. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we saw one body of water in this movie, but um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't even really know what all else to say. You know, it just like kind of comes to a head in such like we mentioned earlier. It, it comes to a head in such a way that like it's just such an unsatisfying resolution. I mean, obviously, it's like they not for Edward Norton. Yeah, you, you know, uh, yeah, spoilers, but uh, um, I don't really care enough about this movie to even make a spoiler section. So, um. But like when when they showed Edward Norton at the end, I thought it was James Cameron. I thought he kind of looked like James Cameron, <laughs> and like I had to. Um, I, I thought the same thing too. And before that camera goes fully around, I'm like, <laughs> no, I thought it too. It just looked like James because he had sunglasses yeah. on. Like if if, if I had yeah. seen the guy's eyes, like I would have maybe recognized Ed Norton. But like it obviously aged up, so I just, just it looked like James Cameron. The hair and just like the shape of the face a little bit and uh so yeah i mean it, uh, that's the obvious way in which setting up a sequel but it's just like nothing really i mean they kill off uh they kill off hugo and they kill off the love um, entry Mar- marshala i and it's like okay cool you did that but like what's the whole point of this anyway what is she what is she fighting towards they like i guess nova doesn't want like her to be able to like 
recreate her people who are going to be too powerful and he'll won't be powerful anymore is that really supposed to like draw us all in for a sequel i mean i i just don't know what to say man like that's what this whole thing was building towards and it just wasn't that compelling yeah i well here's what i think it might be building towards she becoming a world-class motorball player um like if the whole movie had just been her going around the you know galaxy competing in motorball i think i think it would be a better movie uh, cause that's like one of, it, it is not like the greatest set piece in the world, which I think that in order for this movie to work, like I didn't make up for, you know, if this movie is a technologically advanced film, like you have to have like one really great set piece and you have like one okay set piece and that's just the motorball and the moon war. And that's it. Like it, it, it the movie's a slog. It's very, it's pretty because there's not much action in it as you would expect. yeah i mean some of the action is also not all that compelling where it's just like yeah. where it's like her and christoph waltz walking around doing the bounty hunter thing it's like why should i care about this you know i mean yeah. it's already a little bit of a post-apocalyptic world and of course there are going to be some lawless people it, it just didn't feel all that essential and it was been an easy way to like just cut 20 minutes off the movie and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 and I agree on your theory about a, a motorball movie. It's just that would have given plenty of opportunities for figures like Marshall's character to be there, like powerful people that have different motivations than uh, Christoph Waltz's character, and because he obviously had a hand in that as well. And you could have learned about their economy and how the cyborgs interacted with the humans. And I think there would have been enough compelling stuff there to just have a much more unique movie than just something where it's like a post-apocalyptic world where there's some more powerful people controlling some people that aren't so powerful which really on its surface sounds a lot like the diversion series you know even yeah. though even though this isn't quite as ya as that i mean it, it's kind of what it felt like so yeah and and, and and do you have any final thoughts you know i mean i know you're disappointed but um i just think this proves to the listeners who listen to like the one other listener that listened to i don't know how how many listens you got on the Welcome to Marwin podcast. But um, for the, the, the listener that was listening to the Welcome to Marwin podcast and thinking, oh, he's just doing a bit here. He doesn't actually think this about Marwin. I can admit defeat. I can admit <laughs> defeat. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, I know when I'm wrong, and I was unfortunately wrong on this one. Yeah, you know, so like, you, you, gotta, yeah, you can't just like waste spots in those top tens. They're pretty valuable, as uh, we'll talk about later on on, on my uh, top ten podcast. So, I, I you know, it, it, it's I mean, it was funny to hear how I, it does give me a little more context now when I see like hype a movie up like those that on the surface don't look as good. At least you'll you'll really tell it how it is when it comes down to it. So, uh, yeah. All right. Well, now we're going to talk about uh, the newest Blumhouse movie, uh, Happy Death Day Two. It, Best uh, title or greatest title. Or Happy Death Day to You, sorry. Uh, but it, it is a solid sequel title. Uh, it's a sequel to 2017's Happy Death Day, and it's a very quick turnaround on these movies. Uh, Happy Death Day came out in fall 2017. I mean, a lot of stuff, like, you know, like the first 2019 release we talked about on the podcast was Glass, and, like, that came out exactly two years after Split. And this one, like, they had an even quicker turnaround because Happy Death Day was, like, such a success. Made, like, $125 million off of, like, a just under five million dollar budget, as is the Blumhouse way. Uh, so they got the, they got that came out in the fall of two thousand of two thousand seventeen. Now we're here in spring two thousand nineteen. The sequel, Happy Death Day to You, is here. For those who are familiar, Happy Death Day. It followed a college student by the name of uh, Tree Gelbman, or Tree's her nickname, but full name's Teresa, but we'll call her Tree. And as she wakes up in her uh, in a dorm room on her birthday with a guy uh, played by Israel Broussard, who's now kind of popular from the 
to all the boys I've loved before movie. So he's kind of leveled up since the uh, since the original as well. But in the in the original, she woke up in his room over and over again. Someone in a baby mask kept trying to kill her because for some reason this college is mascot is a baby. Uh, I don't think that we talked about that enough when the first one came out. And yeah, she has to. It's Groundhog Day meets um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, just uh, the the horror genre, and she had to kind of figure out as the days went on, like how she's getting killed and or why she's getting killed, who's doing it, and do process of elimination to figure it out and it was a really compelling movie and uh it's like huh how are they going to do this sequel because it kind of looked like the same thing when they uh when the trailer came out and i don't think i watched the trailer more than once so maybe they explained it more than i recall but in this one we initially start out like the day after the events of the first movie but from the perspective of uh ryan who's the is or carter the israel broussard character we, we start out from the perspective of his, his roommate who kept walking in at the beginning of the day in the original movie, except now he's waking up hungover in an off-campus uh, – in a car off-campus, and he ends up going – he ends up living his own life uh, on that day after, and he gets killed. And we're like, huh. And, and then after that happens, uh, Tree wakes up back on the same day again, and they realize it's kind of the result of this science project that Ryan's been working on that kind of like sent her back and – I actually think the movie does a good job of not getting too bogged down in the science, which could have been a, a problem. But basically it opens up some parallel universes that she ends up in where she's still reliving the day. And she has to figure out how to close the loop. Uh, Josh, I think I, we both liked the first movie. I liked it a little more than you. But how, how do you think this movie did it kind of still in some ways treading the same ground, but also maybe being a little different than that first movie? See, and to be clear. I had a lot of fun with the first movie. The first movie was a lot of fun, genuine fun. I think it's going to be like a sleepover, you know, classic with like, you know, these preteens that are coming up. Actually, my students, um, they went to go see Happy Death Day to you. Um, so uh, I, that one's really good. And also – Wait, you're, you're, what do you mean your students went to see it? Yeah, um, my students, like, you know, they were telling me, we went to go see Happy Death Day uh, Okay. Oh, yeah, Josh is um, a teacher. But for a second, I was like, aren't you like sixth grade teacher? Isn't it rated R? PG-13. Oh, really? Okay. I forgot that it was PG-13. For like middle schoolers to sort of go. Hold on. You, you broke up for a second, but uh, like oh. you said, it is it, it is it is appropriate for middle schoolers now that I think about it. Yeah. Um, it'd be, you know, it's kind of like middle schoolers first horror film. That and, you know, it, I guess. But, um, but that one's actually rated R. Um, but then like also my thing from the first movie, it was just so great to see Jessica Roth. Like she was a huge breakout for me. Like I was like, that's a really good lead performance. And it's very and, weird that she hasn't like – I know she did like a kind of a YA movie in between, but I would have thought she would have blown up even more since then because that was a movie was a big success. Yeah, yeah. And I think like – I think she – if she hasn't blown up yet, she will someday pretty soon. Yeah. Um, She's like 31 though. She's like older than you would think. Yeah, and she was like in La La Land too, as yeah, one of like the roommates. Yeah, as one of the roommates in there. Yeah, um, but yeah, with this movie, I had um, fun with it as well. Like, I probably liked the first one better. And like the thing with the first movie, I thought they had a really compelling like sexual assault on like college campus metaphor, um, like yes. hovering throughout of it, throughout it. And this one, it does that metaphor goes away, but you do have a fun premise where. We, you know, it go is now getting into like sci-fi territory where you know you have them entering different dimensions, and I think people have been 
describing this as like primer meets back to the future part two, which they like name drop in the film. Mm-hmm. And so it gets to be this very meta sequel. Um, and, and, and it's playful and it's, and then it, it's keeping the series alive, which is, it, you know, how quickly they're making these movies. I wonder if we're going to have like a decade of happy death day sequels where the characters are still reliving the same day from like 2017 uh, and the actors are playing these roles. <laughs> But yeah, like I, I had a lot of fun with it. I from the trailer when I saw, I thought at first they may have a really cool idea with it, where you're seeing seeing the events of the first movie from an ancillary character's like perspective. Where I thought this movie was going to be from uh, um, the the friend. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, how they would have pulled that off, but like I can, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. I can, but it, but it is interesting because you really oh I because I, I, re- I rewatched the first one like a few days before going to the sequel and like you really only see him in those scenes where he walks in on them I don't think he's in it at all besides that so which uh, just open you to opens up to like exploring his backstory because in this yeah. one you find out like you know he's this like science student or whatever who's con- you know making this like you know weird science invention uh, uh, science invention um, that kind of teleports you to different dimensions, even though that's not necessarily the intent. But, um, so, which would always be kind of cool for a sequel to, like, you know, you know, change, like, the storyline to follow a character that nobody cared about the first time, you know? And, um, so I thought that was kind of unique. But this time, you know, Jessica Roth is still the lead. And... But it looked like she wasn't going to be. Like, I, yeah. I, I didn't know that. Like, like I said, I, I didn't remember the trailer that well. I was like, huh, are they just going to be, like, on the side? And I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that she was more prominently featured because I did enjoy some of the stuff that she had to that she had to deal with when she went to the other uh, dimension. Yeah, and in this movie you get to explore um, in full. You finally get to meet her mother this mm-hmm. time around, um, who provides you know the crux in the first movie about like why the character is the way she is before she goes through this um, Groundhog Day scenario. And this one you actually meet the mother, uh, um, and so you kind of explore that emotional journey a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's just a really fun movie, and it's crazy too. This started out as a slasher film, and now like it's barely a slasher film. Like in this one, it's more just like a sci-fi film. There's barely any of that slasher yeah, element. At, to one, it. at one point, when they had to go back, to, like I mean, it's hard to talk about this movie because like there's so many resets, and it's hard to just keep it straight in your head if it's been like over a week since almost a week since you've seen it. But like at one point when it looks like they're about to go back to the original dimension and uh, close and she's about to go back to the original dimension and close the loop, I'm like, are we not going to find out who the killer is in this timeline? And eventually you do figure it out. But like for a second, I'm like, I don't I guess it doesn't really matter anyway. The movie that wasn't where the movie's priorities were. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and it also it redeems like the villain of the first movie, too. Which is very interesting, because uh, um, you know you could have gone about the sequel, not even really even uh, uh, mentioning all that much the villain from the first one, and this one they kind of you know are more sympathetic to her. Well, it's really clever too that like I mean because these people are all slightly different in the new dimension, uh, you know that like she her roommate is actually the yeah we're gonna spoil the second one I mean the killer is her roommate in the first one no one should be listening to this if they haven't seen the first one. But uh, the movie, I mean, my and I, I actually, you do kind of need to see the first one to see this. I think. Well, to be fair, this movie recaps the first one like pretty well. Right, like, it does. Yeah, and you can put stuff together, but like uh, because you know what you know about her, how her friend was pretending to be in the first one. When you find out that she's not the killer in this one, you're like, oh, she might actually be that good person she was pretending to be in the first one. So you're not even necessarily thinking about her all that much throughout parts of this movie as Tree is running around the alternative timeline. But all of a sudden, like. 
it does become rather moving when she says goodbye to her to Lori when she's about to go back into the original timeline. It's like, oh, this is actually like a really interesting moment that the movie has actually laid a lot of interesting groundwork to get to this point. Yeah. And then like, but here's the weird thing about this film. Um, all right. At the end of the movie, uh, um, when they decide, okay, like, so basically now this movie expands its universe even more at the end where like now the United States government like, uh, gets involved and they're going to use the technology they're using to transport to another dimension and they need a test subject on. And they're like, all right, which character deserves to suffer through this time loop now? And I feel like the movie's kind of unfair in who it chooses. Because <laughs> um, it should be the college professor. The college professor is the most despicable character throughout both movies, right? And they choose, like, the annoying uh, sorority girl. Um, even though she's an adulterer, like, she helps them out at one point. Um, she helps them. She helps them in the alternative timeline. Yeah, yeah. But in the alternative timeline, she's still cheating on um, Israel Broussard. Yes. And, and so, like, you know, like, you know, despite that, you know, she does help them, like, achieve their goals. Like, and she's also, like, you know, a college girl. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, you know, she's not the best person in the world, but, like, you know, I'm more willing to, like, let her fuck up in college as opposed to this grown-ass man, like, you know, sleeping with college students. Yeah, for, yeah, oh, for sure. And then I also, um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't. I was a little confused when it cut to that. I was like, that does not seem like the best premise for another movie. If that's what they were doing there, it felt very like, felt very tacked on. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it was that. It was interesting that the way they did utilize her in the alternative timeline because uh, what what's his face uh, Carter's with her in that timeline, and I thought like, huh, well, it makes sense that like we have to because that, that's the one thing we haven't talked about is you know like Tree is like obviously like thinks she's might just stay in that timeline because she's happy to have her mom there and even if she's not going to be with carter like that means more to her and you understand this what happened you understand what happens and what she's realizing with the lack of memories and how oh i might not be the best fit here and i can go back and be with carter and for a second i thought when we do find out that she is cheating on carter i'm like oh well now that tree knows this maybe she'll just like tell carter and then try and be with him in that timeline and that that possibility is really never like brought up but that was one place where my head went and i thought that was just like an it was it was like kind of an interesting development on top of everything else that was happening to like add that to her calculus as she's trying to decide like what she's going to do with her life yeah um and again that's why i appreciate with this movie it does like go in different directions uh in unique directions where you wouldn't have expected the franchise to go but also it fully explores all the arcs of the characters you did like from the first one um and it goes in greater depth with it uh previously and closes some of the uh arcs uh from last time so I, that's why i like the film and i have a question to you uh josh yeah Given Blumhouse streak, right? So Jason Blum, in a span of only like five or six years, he has Oscar nominations for Best Picture. Say that, say that again. You broke up in the last five or six years. What? Jason Blum has yeah. uh, uh, three Oscar nominations for Best Picture. Wait, so he has Get Out, he has uh, Whiplash, and he has uh, Black Klansman? Yeah. Yeah. Could he get Happy Death Day to you? Just for the title alone. Uh, you sure that was him, not Christopher Landon? Oh, you're saying could that get it a Best Picture nomination? Just because such a great title. He definitely gets Best Title of the Year. I don't think you're going to top it. 
I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I mean, it's very clever. I, I, I don't know if I was as like blown away by their cleverness as you are, though. Um, you know, one, one other thing I will say though, uh, just to give a credit to them, because you know, it was interesting actually seeing Jason. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, or Blum. But, like, he was actually being pretty honest about the fact, like, yeah, I, I read the critics, and the first one was, like, much better reviewed, but, like, sequels are tough, and I'm, I'll take it. They got, like, they were, like, 67% on Rotten Tomatoes. Not that that's the end-all, be-all, but it's interesting to see, like, a, a big executive like him talk about that stuff. And, I mean, I will say, like, I mean, uh, overall, just talking about how he felt about the movie, I, I, I am in agreement with you, where it's, like, I got to give the first one the edge because it was very compelling how it managed to be as entertaining as it was, but also be a commentary about sexual assault on college campuses in a not in a, in a pretty subtle way, actually. They could have been a little more over the top about it. And uh, even if she, she keeps waking up thinking she slept with this guy for the first half of the movie when doesn't remember it. But, I mean, I still think it has goes about that in some other pretty clever ways. And this movie doesn't have those ambitions, which is the one, main reason it's not as good. But it's still a lot of fun. Like, we didn't even talk about, like, the montages of her just dying on purpose. Like, it did stuff like that, like, really well when it could have felt, like, much more perfunctory. Yeah, and here's the thing. The first one has the luxury of feeling novel when it came out, like, very fresh. I remember just being blown away by Jessica Roth's performance, you know. Mm -hmm. And she's still really, really good here, too. And for a sequel, you know, that could have easily been derivative because, again, it's about, like, repeating the same day. So it's very easy to be derivative with that. It could have taken the fun out of the first one. Yeah. Uh, no, for sure. It, 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 it didn't do that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed her performance, too. Like, I mean, like, she, she she just really went there in the scenes with her mom. But at the same time, there's also some more subtle moments where she's, like, kind of longingly thinking about Carter when she sees that he's with Danielle. And she's good in, like, all those little small moments, too. And also in the moments where, like, she's having to remember all those um, – having to remember all those equations and stuff like that like she's really she has to be really funny and then like go to some really serious places it's like uh, it's 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 a pretty impressive feat and i hope we start seeing her do a lot many more things you know um yeah but yeah uh i'd I'd say we definitely both recommend this movie just i mean if you um i don't really think people are listening for recommendation it's a sequel i don't think people are still listening if they didn't see the first but i mean i just like i'd go see it if they did a third i don't know if there's a way to make it like if there's another way to pull it off in a way that like really feels distinct enough from the second, like this one did from the first, it seems like there might be uh, some limited returns going that route, but like I I will support them if they want to keep doing it for sure. Do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. And my thing is like, I don't underestimate like Blumhouse anymore. Like I think the quality control on most of their productions as of late has been pretty good. Um, I think. Did you see, did you see truth or dare? Like our friend Daniel? I have not seen True for Dare. Uh, yeah, I'm not that, saying they're all winners. I'm just saying <laughs> relative to everything. Like, you know, the Purge series. I love yeah. the Purge series. Um, I've actually never seen those. I'm kind of curious to go watch, get get around to them at some point, though. See, I, I did it in the weirdest order ever. I, I've only seen the last two, and people tell me the second one is the best one. And so oh. and so I was, like, really impressed with uh, the the first Purge uh, came out. with the the first purge in the series. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying is when it comes to horror franchises, I think they're getting better at it. I think they're getting better at it. I think there's a level of quality control. So the problem with this movie with making sequels is I think the actors will age out of their parts. Uh, like Jessica Roth apparently is already in her thirties, which is insane. Yeah. Um, she doesn't look that old, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun movie. 
Yeah, and uh, well, I mean, I guess I, I hadn't even thought about it till this point in the podcast, but like in just like less than a month, we're gonna we have us coming out. So yeah, know, and then we like, have Ma. Oh shit! Yeah, that that trailer dropped last week. That actually looks pretty interesting. Uh, that's and that's Blumhouse. Yeah. Oh man, they could have a big. They could definitely have a big year. I mean, this uh, Happy Death Day to you doesn't look like it's going to make quite as much money as the first, but it's already profitable, and most of their stuff is. It just might not have the margins of the first one, but I mean, it could be a, just like a really huge year for them. I mean, I I don't know if Us has like the. I don't. Know, who knows? Maybe Us doesn't have like that uh, element of social commentary that Get Out does that would make it a little more Oscar friendly. But maybe he just maybe Jordan Peele just kills it, and he actually does. Uh, Jason Blum does get that Oscar. All joking is about movie titles aside, he might get another one. Who knows? Yeah, and do, uh, I have two theories on us number one is this um no matter how good us is it could be a great movie but i think the public uh uh perception of it will be disappointed no matter what just because everybody is looking for another get out and it had a great trailer too yeah i just think like it's not going to be get out too and so like no matter how great that movie is, people are going to be disappointed with it. And then maybe years later be like, Oh no, no, no. Us was really good. But, um, uh, sight unseen, I'm predicting just people are just expecting get out to, and when they're not going to be given that they're going to be let down. But that said, it could be a great movie either way. Um, and then number two, speaking of another Blumhouse director, I think Jordan, now the execution of his films might be far different. So I'm saying like the quality control could be far better in Jordan Peele's case. But I think the director trajectory that Jordan Peele will probably have as he uh, goes on with his career is probably similar to M. Night Shyamalan. Not like not in terms of like the qualities of the movies, but in terms of the type of movies where like, you know, M. Night became synonymous with making these like, you know, thrillers like Signs, Village, Unbreakable, all these like genre stuff. And and, you know, and that has like a slight B movie edge, but it's elevated. You know what I mean? And I feel like. Jordan Peele will probably, that's the type of director he would be. I'm not saying he's going to be as good or bad, however you feel about M. Night and, and the quality of it. I'm just saying that type of movie where each right. year he has like a social driller that he makes. Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, let's table the rest of the uh, uh, Jordan Peele discussion until us because, you know, maybe that's like a. I mean, maybe maybe it's a total flop, and then he doesn't have the then and then maybe he doesn't have the two great ones to start out like M Night did. So we'll see. Uh, Josh, before we sign off, do you have any uh, anything you want to plug? Letterbox, Twitter, anything like that? Um, my Letterbox is JKB sixteen two six. Um, uh, yeah, on Twitter. Here's the thing: I had to go private uh, because I'm a student now, and you you're a teacher, you're not a student. Yeah, I'm a teacher now. Give yourself so, some more credit. So yeah, yeah. Uh, um, social media is dangerous for me. Uh, yeah, so you can't go too crazy in his letterbox reviews, but give him a follow if you want to. Yeah. Uh, as usual, I'm Josh Chernovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterbox. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, coming up next, we'll probably have a podcast on uh, fighting with my family with my friend Nick, who joined us on the Creed 2 podcast. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time.